Hello, I'm Kevin King, co-founder of Secret7. I'm Kaia Charles, I'm the Cultural Projects Manager at Greenwich Peninsula and also a curator at Now Gallery. Welcome to the Secret7 podcast, an exploration of the infinite and holy connection between music and art. In each episode, we will be meeting artists who've contributed to Secret7 since its inception in 2012. And we'll be learning about their process, passions and their connection with music. On today's episode, we welcome Shona Heath. Shona Heath is a pioneering set designer and creative. She's responsible for creating some of the most memorable fashion stories from the past two decades, infusing her work in advertising, costume, installations, fashion shows and editorials with an unmistakable surreal beauty. Her multidisciplinary approach to design encompasses exhibition design, interiors, graphic design and illustration. Well known for her close collaboration with acclaimed photographer Tim Walker, her work designing the V&A's Tim Walker Wonderful Things exhibition has been one of the museum's most successful photographic shows to date. She has conjured unforgettable imagery for musicians such as Bjork, Harry Styles and Goldfrapp. Welcome to the Secret 7 podcast, Shona. Thank you. We've been asking all our guests uh, what they've been listening to today as, a, as an icebreaker, if anything. I haven't listened to, to it today, but I have been listening to Christine and the Queens. I'm really into her. <laughs> Yeah, she's a, she is a good one. She, yes. Yeah. All my family are into her too. Like, mm. it sort of spans generations. Yeah, she uh, does. I bought I bought my mum her album last Christmas and I'm planning this Christmas to get her the next one so that I can listen to it when yeah. I go home. <laughs> <laughs> Could you start by telling us about your work as if we're unfamiliar with it so our listeners can, can understand? Yes. So um, I'm a set designer and... I've been doing it for 20, 22 years and it is forever evolving and changing a little bit and I cross a lot of disciplines which I love. It can be costume based, it can be fashion show, shop windows, even garment design or product design and all those things I suppose are 3D. So I suppose that's the one thing I have in common is it, it my work is, is quite three dimensional even if it's photographed and becomes 2D, ultimately. It's really whimsical and, you know, otherworldly, I feel. Um, what are some of the references that you kind of employ? I think as a child, I was brought up in the English countryside and that is, I think that's my visual language and colour, flowers, and that's definitely where I feel the most comfortable. And then I think the sort of more fantasy element probably comes from children's stories and children's illustrations, which still inspire me today the sort of no boundaries of them and play on scale is something yeah forever, forever inspiring I guess that word sort of surrealism would come up I yes wondered whether you had a, a sort of particular favorite record sleeve based in surrealism or whether whether you've drawn any sort of references from record sleeves in your work in the past I was for this, it feels like a strange um, confession, but I'm actually <laughs> not amazingly um, musically motivated. It's something that I sort of remember three or four tracks and that's, yeah, I'm not a music consumer. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It feels like a, a ridiculous thing to say. I love music around me, but I, I'm actually quite overwhelmed by choice. But the visuals of music, actually, you know, from Kate Bush sleeves, actually the one, I can't even remember what it's called, the one with all the um, animals sort of pouring out of her cloud dress. That's something that's always stuck in my in my head. 
we spoke to Dan from Storm Studios as well, and uh, we're talking to him about how Storm Thorgerson was sort of described as sort of surrealist, and he was also saying they didn't really like that that label. Storm mm. used to hate people calling him that. How do you sort of feel about like people using labels like that? Uh, what the work? surrealist one or the yeah. whimsical one? I guess like labels in general, but yeah. Um, I don't mind it. I don't. I don't love it. Actually, it makes me. I'm not very rebellious, but actually when people put a label on me, it makes me want to prove them wrong. So actually I think it has quite a good effect. You think, I'm not a set designer, I'm not just that, I'm not whimsical, I'm not surrealist. <laughs> and you want to sort of change it up a bit, maybe just for yourself. So I I don't mind them. I think they have a, they create resistance a bit for some people. Yeah. You talked about about being also like overwhelmed by choice. Is that through digital music or is that just like music in general? I think when it became digital, yeah. the, the the wormholes you can go down. I think at, um, the amount of time, I don't have that time. And I think I used to like the physical object of a a record or a tape or a CD. And just like I like menus when there isn't a choice and it's like, no, it's uh, bean stew today, here you go. <laughs> I, I always like it, you know. Yeah, and I think the digital choice, it just feels, you can listen to anything right this second. And I, I don't really like that. It feels yeah. quite... Overwhelming and also too easy at the same time. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I feel like that sometimes is mm. like paralysis of choice, like mm. where I'm like, I just listen to that same thing I listen to all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you, you've got 40 minutes of choosing the music yeah, you want yeah. to listen same to. Yeah, with Netflix too, sometimes at home. Yeah. We can be like, what should we watch tonight? And then we'll still be on the sofa like 40 minutes later, like, should we go to bed? It's yeah. horrible, but which actually is the best option. <laughs> <laughs> you have been involved in some record sleeves and and shooting some photographs with with musicians i wonder if you could expand on your work with musicians in the past mm. so all of the musicians i've worked with actually there hadn't been so many but each one has actually always been a really something different than fashion comes out of the imagery which is always really great and it has a bit more longevity i think so working with alison goldfrapp and harry styles those images stay with me and I still love them as much as the sort of day they were done. Whereas fashion images, you sort of get over them for another 10 years and you only like them again later. Bjork was the other one. I'd that think. was it. Yes. Don't <laughs> <laughs> forget Bjork. Uh, just Bjork. Bjork, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Can you tell us about any of the stories of the making of, of those? Actually, that the Bjork one is funny. Um Tim Walker was doing the cover and he said, oh, you know, I need to go to Iceland to shoot this album, but we, we don't have much time or much money. Do you think you can make some flowers? And I was like, I think I really want to go to Iceland. <laughs> and I was like, so I sort of designed this sort of miniature set that I said, you know, I could make this and we I could pack it in boxes and I could come because it would be very difficult to for you to put up. So he was like, yeah, 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 come. So we made a set and we literally sort of, build this little island and when it finished we sort of chopped it in sections put it in cardboard boxes but what's quite funny is the writing on the boxes I put iceberg because it was like a, a chunk of iceberg this island so when I was got stopped at customs in <laughs> Iceland they went what's in the box and I said it's an iceberg and they said you're bringing an iceberg to Iceland <laughs> and I said yes it's for Bjork and he went okay <laughs> understood <laughs> yeah so uh, that that was funny. That was amazing, actually. The when Tim was shooting that, he was playing her music, and she. It felt like we watched. We had our own personal 
contemporary dance performance by her in a small studio with sort of 10 people. It was absolutely mesmerising. Do, do you take those tracks as a starting point or do they inspire um, the end design? Funnily enough, I don't think I got sent the music for that, nor with the Harry Styles either, actually. I think normally the artist has an idea already that they want something either sort of synthetic looking or natural looking or moody or kind of pop arty. So you sort of feed more on their, they've already distilled their music a bit into the kind of visual they'd like to go into. So, um, yeah, so not, not, not so much the music. I haven't been, that would be a lovely way to work, but I haven't, normally the artists have quite a strong vision already of the sort of sensibility of it. Those three artists, I'd imagine they would as well. Yeah. They all seem really like have a strong idea of what they're about, don't they? Yeah. And with Harry Styles, for those that sort of don't know what the shoe looks like, can you sort mm. of describe that? Because I've also seen like a few different, there was a, the shot I know is the album yeah. cover. But then I've seen some other shots with more of your work in. Yes. Were they used... I haven't bought that album, so I don't know what the insides are like. Is it in the insides? Is it some some of them are, and they they get a bit sort of more obscure the further in or the further you look on the internet. Some of them I think were much more sort of psychedelic than possibly the music was. Mm. So I think they n- never sort of made the the album, but I suppose that was a starting off with a stronger idea, and then in the shoot, often what happens is it it sort of gets honed in a bit, I suppose, and the 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 correct note is hit upon <laughs> yeah um but there were some pretty kind of crazy things that were also based on sort of shoot um sort of shoots growing up from the ground and turning over a new leaf um which is why there's a lot of earth and i sort of was looking at cross sections of you know dermises and skin and, and things mm-hmm. like that and old illustrations and but in then we carved it into sort of polystyrene and made it very sort of shiny and pop art and Harry was is well. He's obviously an incredible performer, but though that day was such a enjoyable, fun day, and actually the pictures really show it. It was really yeah. I love those pictures. And taking taking those ideas um, from concept into three D, mm. what what sorts of materials do you tend to use? Are, are there any materials that you'd like reuse for each project? I think materials actually often are a really big starting point for me of the design. If I think, oh, I need to make some um, giant cross sections, so how, how am I going to make it? Whether it ends up being shiny or it, sometimes we carve things right from the beginning in polystyrene and therefore they they can be really designed on paper. I sketch them and then they're um, cut out and then other times that we might take materials that can be melted or bent or even... Um, objects we might start with plastic chairs and and melt them and bend them and and completely you wouldn't know and I really like that it's like sort of 3d collage that you get real objects and sort of cut them into materials again I suppose mm. I really like that because I sort of know what I'm starting with it's not it's like a not quite blank piece of paper anything about the gold wrap um that wasn't with Tim Walker am I wrong no that was um with a photographer called Serge Leblanc who is great and my great friend, Kathy Edwards, who is a stylist, sadly she passed away, but um, she used to work with Alison to do some of her costumes. And she said, oh, you know, I think we should make a really big owl. And um, I said, I want to make an owl. And <laughs> <laughs> and actually, just I started off with 
buying the sort of slightly concertinery tissue Christmas decorations, the ones that sort of start off like a closed fan and they open off around. And I sort of unpicked them and used them like feathers, which actually worked incredibly well, and then bleached all the sort of colour out of them and painted them. So I like using different things to get somewhere different. Like repurposing the mm. object yeah. and giving them new meaning. Yeah, but sometimes that starting point is really is really nice. It cuts down the choice. I didn't have to think about the shape of the feathers because I had I had the feathers, but they weren't feathers. I guess it also makes things maybe like quick to just start trying things out with. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to like get something produced and wait for it to be produced by no, someone else. No, yeah. I can't. I can't bear that. Actually, that's really um, it. Stops the flow, and it's it's often things that are hanging around in my studio that that start a a design or a process or a thought. And it's an enormous leg up, actually, if you have stuff around you that you can pick up and play with. Yeah. That makes it a lot easier, I think. And we've touched on, Tim, that you've worked with on the Harry Styles and, and Bjork shoot. How did you start working with him? So I, I met him now 20 years ago, really early on. And I just started on my own as a freelance. I'm not quite sure what I thought I was doing actually I'd I'd had a job with a a design studio who actually they were directing pop videos and I was doing the costumes for them and when I left I had this sort of notion that I wanted to do the the set but I don't even knew it was the word actually I can't even remember going the set I just remember (laughs) thinking I want to do the stuff in the background kind of and um, I started to make the backgrounds for photo shoots with paper because that was the cheapest thing to make things out of and my mum had always made paper sculptures when I was a kid and they were amazing and anything that she could do I just sort of thought well of course I could do that you know which was such a gift actually the 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 assumption that I could and that she'd never made me feel like oh no but it's really difficult you know I just looked at her and thought well of course I can do that because she can and so I did this big paper set and used to have your phone number in the bottom of the magazine and people called and I got more and more work and then I worked with somebody who knew Tim and they said you should really meet up with Tim Walker I think you would get on and we met up and we showed each other our sketchbooks he hadn't he just started shooting for British Vogue I think and the first thing I did was make him some hats made out of cakes which he took to Ireland on the plane and none of them made it. Um, So actually that was quite a disaster, but at that point nothing mattered. It wasn't, I didn't let Tim Walker down at that point. I didn't even let myself down at that point. I just, we just laughed, you know, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) And how's that working relationship evolved over the years? It sounds like you've got something where you can fully trust in one another to sort of have that freedom to go off and create and... Yeah, yes. Um, I was with him this morning, actually, and it's always a joy. And yeah, I feel if if I'm passionate about what I'm doing, he will be as well, actually. And he never stops me. He would never say, I'm not sure about that. He would always encourage it. We might not shoot everything. You know, half of the stuff I make doesn't get shot, but he would never stop that flow. And that's why he's so great to work with. And he wants to see artistry and craft in his pictures. He wants to see something that he can't get anywhere else. So for me, I may as well put all my effort in because I can I can show what I can do with him. 
Are there any other um, major artists that you collaborate with that you have a similar sort of working relationship with? Um, no. They're quite special, aren't they? Uh, yeah, yeah they, they are. I work with my husband, which I, I love to work with him, and I really love the pictures we do together, but it's a very different relationship. It's not... Um, is beyond collaboration actually it's just sort of together yeah. so that's mm. why I sort of left him out of the idea of a collaborator because it doesn't yeah. even feel like I can <laughs> say that really <laughs> but no there is nobody else yeah they're special oh. yeah the so I, I do Secret 7 with another guy who's in Sydney so you won't you won't get to meet him but yeah we have a similar relationship I think where we kind of know that we'll, we'll like what each other does and gives you just so much freedom yeah just cuts down the amount of time you have to be like, is this all right? Do you yeah. like this? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you're kind of just operating, touching base, and then doing what you need to do. And yeah, it's so nice to work like that. I and mean, yeah. when you don't work with some, when I don't work with him, I'm like, I don't, I don't like this sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And you, um, you worked on the design for his show at the VNA. Yes. Obviously, yeah. um, lots of people will will have experienced. Can you talk about how you sort of approached that? And like, were you given sort of the same sort of freedom there, or was that a different a different setup? No, actually, it wasn't a different setup. It was a a different setup in the fact I'd never worked in a big institution like that, and obviously the the wheels sort of start a bit slower, and you need to check off loads of things with loads and loads of people, <laughs> and seemingly the government. It felt like I mean, it felt slow, but by the time it picked up momentum. It was great, and all the people at the VNA were amazing to work with. But that was so special because obviously showing Tim's work from the last sort of twenty years, it it acted as it wasn't a sort of a it wasn't we didn't like to call it a retrospective. It was a bit like a sort of a fast forward sort of zoom through his last ten years, and then ten new projects that were um, responding to objects at the VNA. So those shoots were done specifically for the VNA. And we I was designing the show before those shoots had been done, but we were working on the shoots at the same time. So quite often I was sort of designing a part of the show. I thought, well, I think that's the bit where the the shoot that we're going to do based on the um I don't know, uh, 18th century casket, 16th century casket, sorry, is. So I started designing for nothing which was a, a kind of a strange feeling. But had it not been Tim, I think it would have been almost impossible because I knew I was going to work on the photo shoots. I sort of knew what was going in them and what would come out of them. Mm. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of work I was doing. It at, It was all all consuming, actually. How long did that take? Because it was pretty vast, mm. the show. Um, it sort of took two years, really. Yeah. Yeah. Two years of our lives, both of us, we were um, we were fully in it the whole time. So, which was which was so nice. It was so nice to look at the work we'd done and take inspiration from it of how to display it or how to experience it or walk through it. Whilst that work was new, it that was such a nice thing actually to use colours or feelings or narratives or statements or um, opinions we were trying to get across in, you know, we had a lot of different places to put it in, whether it was in the book, whether it was in the walls, in the music, in the frames, in the um, way we printed the pictures, everything. Did it make you look at things like twice that you'd done before by like putting in new contexts and 
yes. people that don't like know the show, like, yeah, it's just a complete transformation of certain rooms, like, mm. and... I would have thought like going through stuff like that is quite a cathartic way of like looking back at things and like taking different perspectives. I think so. For the, I mean, but all the sort of slightly sort of stuff that was like that, that was in the sort of smaller part of the show. It was more the new stuff that got the um, the space and the scale actually. Um, and that was the stuff that maybe why it was quite energetic because we had to do it all quite quickly and um, respond whilst hadn't even seen the final pictures sometimes I was sort of designing the where they would go yeah um literally sort of drawing squares on the wall thinking well I think that's going there <laughs> but they weren't there was nothing there yet so yeah that was really I I, I realize now that will never happen again that was mm. such a mm. such a significant uh show I think yeah I've only heard really amazing things about it yeah would you want to do it again um well, I think it has reincarnations. Well, it does have reincarnations at the moment. Actually, it's in Genk at the moment oh. in C Mine, um, and then I think it's travelling on to Korea and America. I think so. I'm sort of involved in consultancy and maybe a, some sort of um, refacing it. Okay. Yeah, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah. So nice it gets to tour. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think there are all sorts of things dropping off along the way. There are all sorts of crumbling props that um, yeah. <laughs> only just made it up the first time. They won't. They won't. They they don't fly. <laughs> so do you have to remake parts of the show? To um, I think I don't know if I would remake now. Actually, it feels like it's a different world that I designed for than two years ago, and I feel like it, it's actually Tim and I were talking about it this morning that it has to gain. Um, contemporary relevance, um, even if it's in just in little things. Um, so actually, I don't think it should be rebuilt exactly the same. It'd be nice to inject some other ideas and thoughts as it as it goes around the world. Hopefully, you get to go with it as well. Yeah, maybe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bags of icebergs. Yeah. <laughs> You've created both a secret seven sleeve and. Uh, Planner one on one turntable this year. So I wanted to ask you a bit about your sleeve first, if you can recall. Feels can. like so long ago now, doesn't it? <laughs> Feels like, I yeah. thought I wasn't allowed to say what it was. Wait, we're gonna go and be a bit cryptic around it and just maybe <laughs> see if you can just sort of Ah, uh, okay. Talk that, about the song that you picked, away. if you can remember. I can. Do you want to talk turntable first? I suppose I'm I'm, um, I'm trying to cover up the fact that I think the inspiration that I took came from a different place than the music that's fine is that bad no yeah. why don't you just talk about that then we don't have to phrase it in the, how the track yeah. inspired it but um i suppose it um the the feeling of the music and the object that i was having to transform i just sort of responded to what it was i looked at the object and thought how could how could i make this interesting that would feel different and i didn't want to do anything graphic i wanted to do something three-dimensional um and also, I'm quite a practical person, so I, I didn't fancy it not working. I really wanted it to, to keep the integrity of the, the turntable so that somebody could use it. I think that was what is really nice about the project. And I realised, what would I do with that in my house? And I realised I would put some stuff on top of it because <laughs> I haven't got any records. <laughs> um, and I can't describe the stuff on top of it, can I? No, so for the turntable, we can talk freely. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. sorry. Okay. Just the sleeve that's the secret yeah. bit. Uh, it's confusing. 
Okay. The the feeling of the the I wanted to do papier mache on the the turntable and sort of turn the turntable into something slightly less sharp than it was and and have a sort of a slightly more organic feel to it and yeah sort of a human quality the debris of what you would put on top of your turntable is a a coffee cup a cigarette and a book actually I've never smoked but I was um <laughs> a bit more to the story. If you bought records you might <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then the sleeve actually came from from that the sleeve came from an archive of pictures that I've taken all through my working um life when I do tests or um trying to work things out I've always taken pictures of them so little still lives and things and that was actually a test of some objects that I was making for a Prada show in years and years and years ago and actually those objects didn't get used but it was a way that I was communicating to Prada how I would do something and I'd always loved those pictures they were sort of a no man's land of a simple sort of domestic setting which I'm also really fascinated by the domestic not just fantasy but sort of almost fantasy interiors and in and sort of d- domestics with a surrealist twist, so that was how the the album sleeve came away from the turntable, actually. Okay, so the link. That was the link, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the song you chose that one because I like that song, and actually, okay. strangely, I'd heard that album on the radio, I think the week before, and. I thought, well, I should pick that one because I've heard of that song and I don't normally hear of any songs. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's interesting when people when people respond to the songs because there is like some people obviously responding very directly, yeah. the lyrics or some personal feelings. But sometimes I don't know where the inspirations come from, but I like the image or... Like it doesn't have to always sort of have such a. It's nice when they're not all direct. So yeah, not yeah. Otherwise, we have like a, a hundred snakes or a hundred saxophones. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not really kind of quite what we want. We want a little bit of that, but we also want a little bit of what's inside people's heads. That's yeah. That's not that. Yeah. yeah so. Want more abstracted. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Um, and I'm pretty sure some people respond without maybe even listening to the tracks. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's cool too. <laughs> I'd just be interested in finding out a little bit more about the work you do um, for shows, actually, because you mentioned, was it Prada? Or, yes. Um, so just the work you do for, you know, how it's different to, for example, producing for a static exhibition. Mm. I suppose wor- working for fashion shows is very time sensitive. You, you have to be able to build and achieve, whether it's going into a tent and you only have two days to put it in or it's going to somebody's showroom or like Prada they have they have their own place to show so they have a long time but I was working within sort of almost underneath the designer uh, Rem Coolhouse oh yeah is mm-hmm. that right and they designed all this sort of prototype furniture and they'd sort of got a bit stuck and didn't quite know how to bring it to life in this sort of in the scenography they did so they wanted me to do some sort of finishing touches so it, it's always really really different there's there's never a oh this is how I do a fashion show and this is what happens because it's mm-hmm. always really different whether I'm doing a land van show and there's a a ginormous tree like actually that was something that was we had to build a, a massive weeping willow tree in the Tuileries in Paris and we had I think we had 
30 hours to put it in. I mean, the tree was enormous. The sort of girth of the trunk was, I couldn't put my arms around it. And that just becomes, actually, you break it down into sort of logistics almost that inform the design a bit. And I suppose the, the design for that also came from some of the problems, the fact that, you know, a, a tent is a certain height, therefore the tree could only be a certain height. And then mm. so to cover the sort of stumpiness of that, I thought, well, it has to be a willow tree because then I can cover all the the sort of cut-off branches. So there's often a practicality that sort of informs the design, which I quite like. I like those is problem-solving a, li- a little bit. Um, do you have to kind of think of how the clothes sit within that environment? Yes, yes, definitely. And um, that's normally, that's something that I really... I really enjoy taking the mood from the clothing and the character that I'm either told or I imagine would wear those clothes. And often I like I like sort of translating the concept of fashion into set design, actually, whether it's colour or a feeling or, you know, whether things should be organic looking or synthetic or graphic, all those things. There's often waves of things you are drawn to, towards and want to make and build. So, yeah, it's almost like those sets become fashionable within themselves mm. whilst you're also trying to contrast against the clothes. You can't do, you can't repeat the clothes right. in a big thing. And I quite like that dialogue between objects and clothes. Right. It's, a, it's a good starting point that you, you that's, that's a given, which I, I like those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, during a kind of lockdown, did you um, did you embark on any kind of personal projects or? I did actually. Um, I had quite a fun lockdown creatively. I made all the cushions that I wanted to make in my life, which made me incredibly <laughs> happy. I love sewing, and then I was commissioned by Love Magazine Digital to to create something in my home, and I have a fantastic painting. Um, that is done by a great artist called um, Dame James Mitsoya. And I always loved it. And it's a painting of these uh, big green faces with red legs and sort of like a Pyro kind of frill. And I've, I'd always thought, oh, these guys look like so much fun. They're kind of weird people. So I, I brought them to light. I actually phoned up James and said, look, I'm, can I do this? I'm sort of com- completely bring your painting out of the wall and in into my living room and sort of sort of bring them to life a bit are you okay with it and he was like yeah that sounds amazing do it um which was great so I photocopied the, the faces and and sort of built funny cardboard legs for them and put them in my kitchen around the table with cups of coffee with steaming oh. hair and um I really enjoyed it it was really free and my son was involved my husband was involved we sort of left it up for three days it kind of became part of <laughs> a, a week <laughs> so that was really fun and yeah I had chance to think and read which was is ultimately the most creative way to start really yeah, yeah. brilliant sounds like an extreme version of uh, me getting a box out for, for my daughter and I think we built a microbrewery in the front room out of a box. Yeah, exactly, same thing. (laughs) Extreme. I was going to ask about those pop videos. Maybe I can just. Maybe if you can remember, but you you said um, you started out making costumes for pop videos. Who? Yeah. So it was a a company that I'd done a work experience with during my years at uh, Brighton University, and I loved it. They they did 
they'd done these uh, power gen weather commercials, um, which in the 90s were pretty amazing, like the idents before the weather, these people with crazy dresses made out of um, umbrellas. or uh, And I'd worked on those when I was with them. And I loved the immediacy of costumes just for video or and then they're thrown away. It wasn't forever. It didn't have to last forever. So then when I went back and did the costumes, when they'd started directing, and we worked on um, Steps video. Which um, one do you remember? It was called Something Blue. I just remember one where they were wearing like yellow and blue outfits with like... Yes, that it? I could see the yeah, the hat. Yeah. Yes, it was that all full latex. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah body suits <laughs> that, and that that was quite that was quite good fun. I mean, crazy things like going up to Manchester and taking a body cast of H in a <laughs> in a uh, hotel room, and um, I was remember they danced in those latex suits for oh my god two hours straight. Oh, wow. And then I was, I took them off and I, 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 I will never do this. I've never done it since because I know this happens. You sweat so much in full latex. It is, Oof. it is, it is litres. It's not just, wow. it's not just a bit of water. And I took his trousers down. There was loads of talcum powder to get the trousers on. So basically a few pints of milk, just sort of talky milk, talky sweaty milk splashed back. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. I saw that they're back, so maybe you can do it again. Oh, are they? Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> they were all very nice, actually. <laughs> They'd have to be. Yeah. <laughs> but that was good fun. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. A pleasure. Really yeah. Fun. Pleasure. Thank you. All 700 unique Secret 7 records in this year's show will be auctioned in aid of help refugees on the 1st of November. Visit secret-7.com for more details. The Secret 7 podcast was recorded at Spiritland Studios in London's King's Cross. Spiritland Studios are run by Spiritland Productions, providers of professional audio solutions to television, radio, podcasts and online. So whether it's podcasting, outside broadcasting or live concert recording, produce your next show with Spiritland Productions. Visit spiritlandproductions.com to find out more.